0: I've learned new vocabulary along the way. As like I learned to be more curious versus expect something out of things that we do and, and outcomes that we want. But just being more curious about these kind of things takes off a bit of the pressure and anxiety that comes with quote unquote success and brings us to a better place of just being
1: human. Hello, and welcome to the Conspiracy of Goodness podcast, where you'll hear conversations that generate one aha moment after another for you. There is an enormous wave of goodness and progress well underway in the world that almost no one knows about yet. Yes, it is still an amazing world. And on this podcast, we'll introduce you to the people who are making it that way. We're here to shine a light on all the ingenious solutions and give insight and innovation a place to rise to the top, since it doesn't seem to be doing that in our online lives very often. And here's the thing. Almost everybody we talk to on the Conspiracy of Goodness podcast is tackling some vexing problem in the world, and yet they still think the future is bright for us all. We need to know what they know. And then we can take all this insight and inspiration into our daily lives and start seeing a whole new landscape of possibility for ourselves and the people we love and that we are connected to. So welcome to the Conspiracy of Goodness podcast. I'm Dr. Linda Ulrich, founder of the Goodness Exchange, a global website that's been shining a light on insight and innovation going uncelebrated for almost a decade. The purpose of this podcast is to put a spring in your step so that you can live with less fear and more joy every single day. And we can start that right now. Today, we're going to meet Jen Lim. She's a guide for us all when it comes to living a more meaningful and happy life in the work we do every day. And I'm just going to own it. Jen has such an amazing bio that I'm going to read it. <laughs> I mean, I've crafted it, but there's so much that I didn't want to leave out. Jen is the CEO of uh Delivering Happiness, a company that she and Tony Shea, the late CEO of Zappos.com, co-founded to create happier company cultures. And of course, in these times of the great resignation, this could not be a more important topic than ever. So Delivering Happiness started as a book that's now sold over a million copies or nearly so. And Jen's new book, Beyond Happiness, has some marvelous reviews that I'm gonna share with you later because they can lead to some great, great questions. The book was named the top business book of 2021 by Forbes. So this is no small order of business in this conversation that that we're going to have today. The bottom line is that Jen Lim's long early start at creating positive change in the working world for people makes her a charter member of what we call the conspiracy of goodness. And I hope that we'll hear some things here in the next few minutes. In fact, I know we will. It'll start It'll start bringing this kind of consciousness and awareness and agency into our own lives about our working lives. So Jen, and let's not forget to hear about how you start spontaneous dance parties. As
0: well. I love that you had that at the end. We can definitely oh, yeah. talk about spontaneous dance parties. Okay. Thank We're you not so much you. for having me, Linda. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> well,
1: thank you for being here. You know, Jen, your bio is so accomplished and full of, of all kinds of experiences in life, but I, I love for people to start with sharing the journey they've been on because it can look all bright and perfect that mm-hmm. journey. But I bet you you've got an arc of time that that has informed this real sensitivity that you have about happiness. So tell us some th- some things about your story.
0: Yeah, yeah it is. It, it is kind of weird to hear my bio, you know, sometimes because it's like, oh, is that what I've done? Like it that to me, I'm a little detached from it in some ways just because it's been You know, Such a big journey in all of this. And I know that all of us, your audience, yourself included, we had a chat before this in terms of just getting to know each other. Like we all have like really boundless stories of our highs and lows. And so even though I'm this happiness person (laughs) in the world, I had to go through a lot of different lows to get To this understanding of it, especially to this time now, you know, with, with what we've had to all go through in the last two years with um, what I call 2020 BC before COVID and where we are now, 2020 AC or 2022, holy crap. But yeah, I think in terms of your question, like having gone through some of the lowest lows in my past has really helped me inform what I do for a living and what my life's work is about, but also my understanding of what happiness is. And, you know, back in the day, so I, I was a dot-com baby and I was spit out from the nineties and, and laid off. And And for me, it was, that wasn't the hardest experience at all because like I, you know, I graduated, I went to UC Berkeley. I'm like, immigrant family my parents were from Hong Kong and and a lot of a lot of the times you're supposed to be a doctor or a lawyer and i didn't go that route and i disappointed them in that sense and so i actually did even more disappointment because i majored in asian american studies and they were like mm what does that even mean? Like you're living it and just come home more often. We'll tell you what that is all about. And I guess I just felt like I had to live up to those expectations. But after getting into the working world and the dot-com days were amazing, you know, like money, title, status was really easy. And I got spit out because I got laid off. But in within that one year, pretty much got laid off. 9-11 happened and my dad was diagnosed with stage three colon cancer. And yeah, this is my I was in my late 20s. And all of a sudden I realized, wait, all these things that I was chasing, the money title status really didn't mean much at all at that point. So that's where I started shifting gears of actually focusing on what means the most. And without actually saying, identifying purpose and values as the terminology around it, I realized at that time I'm going to focus on what means more to me, which was the relationships in my life, my sense of freedom and autonomy, and my sense of just being able to live a more purposeful way and that's when the switch happened like you know this was like early 2000s when i started understanding or wanting to live a more meaningful life
1: sorry i was i was (laughs) just gonna sneeze and that is such an important point that you were making there jen does it have to be that we have to have these disasters to wake us
0: up that's such a good question because the short answer should be no And there are some people that I've seen and that I've worked with that don't have to go through these major times of loss or grief or tragedy to get to the other side. But unfortunately for a lot of us, it does. And I think it's like, well, case in point with what happened in the last two years, everyone has gone through some form of loss and it doesn't have to be a person, right? Even though it's a life and death situation sometimes with COVID, but it is a loss of a sense of hope, a loss of autonomy or choice and a loss of expectations of what we can hope for in the world. So I think in some ways people can do these kind of changes without that understanding, but... Sometimes it really helps to reflect and be still with those kind of reflections and then therefore make major changes behaviorally and actions every day.
1: I love your use, use of the word right there. Sometimes it really helps. So that's that's such a positive word in talking about a, a negative place. It's such a nice brid- bridging concept there.
0: Mm. Yeah, I think there's something about, you know, words are so important. You're you're in this industry for a reason, like you are articulate, like you listen. And I think that now more than ever, it's so important for us not to only express where we're at, but also actively listen. And so I've learned new vocabulary along the way as like I learned to be more curious versus expect something out of things that we do and, and outcomes that we want. But just being more curious about these kind of things takes off a bit of the pressure and anxiety that comes with quote unquote success and brings us to a better place of just being human.
1: That is so true. So in this place of being human, together right now in these strange times you know on the home page of your website at delivering happiness you mentioned something I, I would find it hard to to think almost that most of us could identify with this the the top uh, the most prominent words are people are quitting in record numbers why because values purpose and culture So you mentioned two of those things that you really doubled down on after the the lows in your life, and of Mm -hmm. course, culture is what we're what the map. You know, the Great Resignation is all about is that lots of us are saying that we're looking around ourselves in our work environments and saying, "I could do better." Yeah, take us on a little journey through these three words because they can be kind of overused, Mm. and then we kind of tune out their important words.
0: Yeah, I mean that is such a great question because I do. 100%. I'm so aligned with you that they're overused. And sometimes I even hesitate saying purpose values and cultures anymore, culture anymore, because it's like, uh, who wants to hear about this again? But- And this was even before 2020, you know, even before COVID, but somehow there has been sort of this resurrection of these words because of 2020, because of COVID, because of the great resignation. And the fact that we had so much time to use that time, whether or not we're going to be, you know, reflecting on where we're at in life or, thinking about am i waking up and really spending every minute of the day most importantly for me. And so that's the silver lining of it all. And so that's why I also call it and you know a lot of people call it the great awakening, a great awareness, great reset, you know, great whatever you want to call it. That's up to you. But there has been that really substantial time that we've been able to reflect on that. So, I think with uh, in some ways the last two years has brought that resurrection of purpose values and and culture so in the end of not making it too daunting because people sometimes like oh like what is my purpose in life you know like what am i here for you know existential questions and, and values and 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 the sense of culture it's really my goal is to try and make it less daunting like purpose is like don't even have to overthink it you know like there's exercises that, you know, the reason why I wrote the book in many ways was to make it very practical. Like, what are your purpose? What are your values? And how do we build as companies, as teams, whoever we work with, really sustainable and strong cultures? Because at the end of the day, I believe it's not just about happiness anymore. It's also about like the sense of humanity and bringing it to the workplace. So, I mean, in some ways, I'm really glad people are bringing back those words
1: (laughs) Okay, so do you think it's something that, that used to be more imbued in, in people's working lives, that there was a time when everybody kind of felt like it was their mission to, to keep the peace and create culture, and we look to our leaders, and they look back, and everybody had this a responsibility in creating that, and somehow we got away from that? Or is mm. this a whole, a whole new awareness?
0: Yeah, I've been thinking about that quite a bit, because even before the last few years happened... I just felt like there was a big shift in where we are as workplaces. So I think once upon a time, when we were more in the village structure, when we were more like farmers and that age of our existence, we had a more of a community type of interaction. Then the industrial age happened. So, you know, with coal and steel and adventure, uh, well, inventions of the car and things got really shifted. And the industrial age was amazing for so many reasons for technology and where we went as society. But companies, unfortunately, brought people into more pigeonholed roles and no longer really felt that sense of community or no longer felt that sense of villageness. right? Like where everyone had a role and we were going to be part of it and fulfill those roles because otherwise we would not survive. Industrial age brought us that way out of there because we became more like we became cogs in the machine. And, you know, that's a large reason why capitalism grew and we saw the good and the bad sides of it. But I think that's where we are now is like now we had time to reflect. The World Economic Forum calls it the fourth industrial revolution because there's been so many cycles. And now here we are Today And the biggest question is, okay, so now that we have more wherewithal and more, you know, ability to think about the great resignation and the great awareness, what do we actually want in spending, how we spend our everyday lives and how we create workplaces and, and create bonds between teams. So that's why I'm just really passionate about this, this topic now.
1: Yeah, it is hard to miss all around you. I, I'm involved in a small business with my husband. and I, I have been both been dentists for thirty years, and it has never been harder to mm-hmm. find really good people and and keep really good people. And we're we're kind of nice nice folks. And <laughs> I can't even imagine what it's like if you don't have leadership that is really trying to create a win for everyone, mm-hmm. all the stakeholders.
0: Yeah. First of all, like congratulations on your success with being, I mean, it's not easy. Like being dentist, I I have family members that are dentists and I mean, that's tough work, you know, like you're building businesses on a day-to-day basis that you need to nurture the team that you have around you. But so kudos to that. And I think it's a great example of like where most, I mean, the majority of our uh, GDP in in America are small businesses that need to think about this on a day-to-day basis. And so what I think has been most effective is that when people and companies realize that people are our assets, not our expenses, that it sounds so basic, right? But just that turn of the line item on a budget (laughs) is like when you invest in them, they'll invest in you in blood, sweat, tears, and hopefully a lot of smiles, (laughs) especially in the dentistry industry. But, you know, like just being able to see that. And that goes back to the data that I'm really big about. If you look at small businesses, you look at big companies, like the fortunes, like best Place this is the work and Glassdoor. These companies that are scoring high, the top 100, let's just say, are consistently outperforming S&P 500 for the last 15 years. Mm -hmm. And that's a lot to be said because, you know, the economy has been going up and down for the last 15 years. So when we look at examples like that, the data speaks for itself. And then therefore it's like, what do we do with that when we consider it and actually reframe it so that people are our assets, not our expense?
1: Yeah, so uh, we could stray into the conversation about B Corps and the meaning and purpose and validation, the you know the transparency that B Corps have to have. But I think mm-hmm. is that part of this journey to open a new era for our working lives? Meaning, what B Corps are doing right now, or yeah, just just in the fact that that people are looking at at the big picture and how you do business and how it's got to include stakeholders beyond beyond the 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 shareholders
0: yeah i I think b corps are one way to go about it i think that there's a greater umbrella theme going on from the fact that so the ceo of blackrock he's like you know basically running a multi-billion dollar fund one of the biggest in the world and he comes out with a ceo report every year and this last one he talks about how important it is that the great resignation is a good thing. And I totally agree agree with that because it kind of is a forcing function for companies to be more creative and innovative around people. If it didn't happen, then people or companies would be doing the same thing and know that, I mean, he's super aligned with having a purpose-driven organization. And like, it's so interesting to hear The conversations going on that level of those that know their businesses to make more money. But if we're not including and being more with diversity, inclusion and belonging in that equation, then those companies will not unfortunately survive.
1: Yeah. So this brings me to something that is, was said about your work in, in the reviews for your book, which people are just all, uh, unanimously all about it. You know, I had a deep dive in those reviews. And it, this one particular review is very representative of the kinds of things uh, folks are saying about these insights. One woman says, Jen hit a home run in with Beyond Happiness. This book is a moral compass to help us find sustainable happiness. And um, she talked about the exercises throughout the book. So Mm. tell us about this moral compass to sustainable happiness and then share an exercise with us.
0: Yeah, for sure, and and it's a, it's always a trip to hear about reviews. So thanks for sharing that. I was like, oh yeah, that's kind of cool what people yeah, think about it. So one of the things, so I'm gonna go back to the purpose and values. And so there's two distinct exercises I have in the book, and I, I'll touch upon values because I think that's where moral compass comes in. So one of the exercises is called the happiness heartbeats, and it's basically if you can imagine like you're the star of your show, you know, you're the protagonist of your movie, you're the hero in your journey. And if you go through your life and I actually encourage it not just to be your work life, but to be your work and general life and going back and thinking about what were your top highs and what were your lowest lows and thinking that through. So I'll give you an example. Like for me, my highs was like climbing Mount Kilimanjaro starting a company, hitting like Inc. 5,000, you know, those were highs. And then my lows were losing my dad 18 years ago and, you know, going through hard times with the company. And then ultimately my latest lows, losing Tony Shea, my co-founder and one of my best buds. So what's interesting about that exercise is that when you actually kind of map that out and actually pull those highs and lows, understanding that the happiness not just comes from our highest highs, but it's also understanding why our lows were so low. And then you pull those themes out of like what people were there or not there? What values was I, was I living or not living? And that's where that moral compass comes in. And by doing that exercise... You know, I kind of like echoed this at the very beginning is like, that's when I realized my sense of independence, my sense of freedom, my sense of relationships. Then I was therefore guided by those values for the rest, like I'm still living it that way. And sometimes when we have these really hard questions in life, you know, do I leave this job? Do I move to a different state? You know, do I take this relationship? You know, whatever it is, this moral compass, these values that are presented when we reflect on our own lives are that much more, you know, like it's a hard life. Let's just be real. But when we have that moral compass, when we have our values in place, it makes those difficult decisions a bit, if not a lot
1: easier. This, this takes some time, right? This is people don't, uh, this sort of thing is find an afternoon, Mm -hmm. carve out two hours, Get your favorite beverage and do a little inner work. Are you, am I right about that?
0: Yes, you're right. And that's why in the book, I call it the the hardest, easiest thing you'll ever do. (laughs) Because it is hard, but it's easy because it's within yourself. It's like, you don't have to depend on anything else external. And especially knowing that there's been so many external changes around us that we cannot control. But that's why it's the hardest, easiest thing, because it's like, do we want to do that work? And then the question resides within our own. I actually also, I love this. I love that you the fact that you brought up your favorite beverage. It's also really fun to bring your favorite beverage, but also to do it with other people. And so whether it's in your own family or your team, like your most immediate team, this is where the book is trying to take this to. And this is where the great resignation really resonates just because why are people leaving? Well, number one, yeah, they realize they don't want to be doing this job anymore, or I'm not getting paid enough, or I, uh, I need more of that flexibility that I felt during COVID. And then the, the other reason that it comes back to is I, I don't have enough purpose in my life. I don't have enough purpose with my job or the people around me. But when you do these exercises, the values and purpose with others, you'd be amazed how connected people can get. So it's beyond the questions of, you know, what are you binging on Netflix? You know, important things like, what are you, what's your happy hour drink tonight? You know, that are important, so important questions, but that's like fleeting pleasures. But when we get deep and real that's when you have like going back to the village, you know, analogy and you get real relationships and people want to do things for each other, not just because they want a paycheck.
1: All right. This is a great place for us to dive in deep because, you know, our workplaces are not just about the failure of leadership above us or the excellence. I mean, we can create a lot of our own reality just in our work groups if we have people with good intention and good ideas, right? Yeah. I mean, there, sometimes I feel, and I'll, I'll pose this before we take a break, Sometimes I feel like they're like, it's easy for no matter where you are, if you're a leader, or if you're in a a team, it's easy to think, well, that leader is just not doing what he needs to be doing. And so it's hopeless here. Mm -hmm. Or the leader is looking at the team and saying, well, they're not creating their own reality. I can't, I can't pull this along all by myself. And it's that, it's that, it's that friction. Mm -hmm. Talk to us about that.
0: Yeah. I I mean, this is, This is why I geek out on this stuff, because it's like this in some ways it's organizational design. In other ways, it's being human with one another. And I kind of look at it as a social contract. Social contracts are happening all around us all the time, but it's happening also in our workplace. So I work with so many companies that they're like, oh, well, you know, our CEO will never get this. So, you know, they feel feel defeated. But it's kind of like, well, how do you cut and carve what your own success will look like. It's your immediate team. And if you show results within that and you're happier, there's no good CEO out there that will say it's like, stop being happy (laughs) and stop being so productive and making more money. Like this is just, I mean, then clearly you're at the wrong company. But when you do have a CEO that does understand it or a manager or whatever it is, then that social contract is even deeper. But I guess what I'm trying to get at is like, it doesn't matter if that, you know, XYZ person at any level doesn't get it. We can all carve out what we would like to look at for success within our lives. And therefore the people that we touch. And I think that's, I mean, I, I don't know. This is a, an amazing time to be able to do that because people are listening.
1: That is so true. That is so true. Okay. Let's take a break and I'll, 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 share some things right on that path with you during our break that are available to us to hear all kinds of new stories about what's possible. Awesome. Dr. Linda here. If you are hoping the world is a lot better than what we see on the news and social media, and if you've been overwhelmed by the misery and negativity coming from the screens in your life, I've got a wonderful connection for you. What I've learned after almost a decade of curating the internet for insight innovation is that there is an enormous wave of goodness and progress well underway in the world that almost no one knows about yet. And that's what led me to create this podcast. And then I co-founded the Goodness Exchange. The Goodness Exchange is an amazing place on the internet now where you can enjoy unlimited access to hundreds of articles that give you a more complete positive perspective about the state of the world. You can listen to exclusive bonus content from this podcast with our guests who are knee deep in solving some of the world's most vexing problems. And yet they still think the future is bright. We need to know what they know. And at the Goodness Exchange, you can explore a feed of exclusively good news and recommended other kinds of content created by the Goodness Exchange community. No one with good ideas and good intentions need feel alone again. You are right to hold out hope for humanity. Millions of people are out there creating a better world, and we have created a gathering place for all that wonder. Who knows what's possible now that there's a place on the internet created to bring out our best impulses and our collective genius. To explore the home for goodness on the internet, visit goodness-exchange.com backslash membership. Thanks. Okay, we're back. So our guest today is Jen Lim. She's a guide for us all when it comes to living more meaningful and happy lives in the work we do every day. She's got a best-selling book delivering beyond happiness and a previous book delivering happiness that sold a million copies. So we are in the presence of someone who's really going to be a great resource to us for practical things. Let's dive down that alley. Practical things we can start tomorrow. We were talking about our work teams and the agency that we can take up on our own work teams. When in our pre-call, I talked to... Jen, about something that we do in our dental practice ever since my dad was at the Mayo Clinic. My dad perished about two, 22 years ago, and one of his last visits to the Mayo Clinic, I noticed the nurses exchanging these little cards. And I I asked one of them what what was up and they said, well, and and this was a long time ago. I'm sure the Mayo Clinic does a great job on this sort of thing now. But she said, well, you know, we never get any compliments and we decided we never would. So why wouldn't we just create these cards? We have them made up. They say applause across the front and we give them to each other when we see people going the extra mile or doing wonderful things that they may never get acknowledgement for. So this is, this is that kind of agency that we can find in our work teams, even if our boss is less than leadership oriented, let's just say that much
0: hmm. Totally. I'd love when you share that story, too, because that's what we actively do with our clients, like in our workshops or, you know, in our like we call ourselves coach consultants because we're not consulting because we can't tell people what to do or active coaches. But in our sessions, we have wow cards like what you just described. So essentially everyone gets you know their own stack of wow cards and they can write it to anyone they want and tell them exactly why they got wowed by that person. And you can do this on a day to day basis. Like we just happen to do it in workshops, but I love that, like, you were already doing it. Your dad was already doing that back in the day. Another actually cool thing that I've seen in the healthcare space is uh, there's a doctor's office that, so I, I was doing a talk in New York and someone was telling me, like, oh, I, I know exactly what you mean because one of the levers of happiness is a sense of control. Or autonomy, And he said, I loved going to my doctor's office. And I was just like, you know, who loves going to the doctor's office? <laughs> and he's like, you know, the reason why? After understanding the lever of autonomy, the receptionist gave me her card, business card, last time I was there. And on the card, her title was the Director of First Impressions. And that's what made him realize, like, that's why I love going to my doctor's office, because she owns her job. And just think of that, like, there's no extra pay there. It's just more of like, how can everyone in the room, so to speak, own their job and feel like they and they want to? But something as simple as that can, can go a long way.
1: Yeah. And we, we don't wait and we don't have to wait to be bonked on the head for these kind of ideas, right? We can get yeah. together in our small work teams and have sandwiches over lunch and just decide the the world that we want to create for each other totally that's
0: exactly it i think it's just having the ability or having the sort of inspiration and also just like you know even if no one's thinking about it you'd be so shocked i mean especially right now people are looking for, for what is it that i can do to get back to reconnection you know to myself and to the people around me. So that's why I think it's an exciting time, even though it's like a little crazy with with the stuff going on around us.
1: Yeah, so so you're encouraging people to do the kind of exercises or take the time to do Mm -hmm. relationship building things, right? Not just nose to the grindstone, hard work every day,
0: Yeah, Yeah, it is relationship building. And I think the relationship starts within ourselves. Like one of the models I talk about in the book is if you can imagine concentric circles, it starts with the me and then we and then community and community equals your customers, your partners, your vendors, anyone that you touch in your ecosystem. And what's interesting about that is like they're all interrelated. So when you start with the me of defining your own purpose, defining your own values and doing like a draft, you know, again, not daunting. And then that actually ripples out to the we. When you do it with your team and everyone else is doing it too, then you can see the impact of how more connected it is. And then when you have like people that are happier, you know, at work, then your customers are going to be happier too because they can see it and they can feel it and they, the interactions are that much more real. So that's why we're a big believer of not just, you know, skill set performance, evaluation. It's also culture evaluation. It's also how are you contributing to our culture? How are you contributing to each other? And so that makes it a more holistic view of, of where we are right now because I think people just want to show up as, as a human being, you know, as a whole
1: human being. Yeah, and be something to rewarding people for searching for what they're uniquely built to contribute Mm. like making that a part of your culture and then making sure that people in leadership make those changes of the seats on the bus how's that going how's that going these days i I, do you get hired for a job and that's what your job is and or do you guys advocate for more of a almost a discovery process about where people's best best skills are
0: yeah i i think it's definitely more of the latter it's because it's the proverbial journey, you know. Like, it's really, it's, it's been so cool to see that more companies are tuning in. It's not just that skill set that they're looking for or need. It's basically the life cycle of an employee. And if you understand the life cycle versus just that you know, one skill set, then you'll realize that person has a lot of other things that they can contribute to the company. And even companies now like are saying, like, it's not even about what you bring to our company per se. We just want you to succeed in life. So I think when you have that broader conversation of people being whole, and I'm going to bring up a lot of the other stuff that we've been not talking about for the last 10, 15 years is like the mental side. So when we talk about being whole and this is another exercise in the book it's called the the wheel of wholeness is like have your employees fill this exercise out which includes mental emotional relational physical space, spiritual space, or wherever they are in their purpose. And if if when they figure like fill that out for themselves, they get a sense of like, oh, I'm really high in my spirituality or purpose right now, but I'm really low on my physical, you know, or emotional mentality. And it's just really interesting to see that when leaders introduce this kind of exercise, then you see the whole picture. And they, and then also employees feel like they're being heard as a whole person, and that's when you see the full gamut of like their superpowers, right, of what they can actually really bring, because it it becomes that journey, like how are how can they fit within what's needed in the company and vice versa, and then it becomes that a more of a, a team social contract kind of relationship.
1: Now, this is is this are, you're talking about the company that all of us want to work for. <laughs>
0: It exists. It exists. exists. That's what I wanted
1: to say. Like, let's get really practical for people that are considering a change. I always tell people to find pride and happiness in place if they can. Mm -hmm. These are just such, such tumultuous times that if there is a possibility to find pride and happiness in place, maybe these are the times to. To look at that first. If people are saying, I can do so much better. How do, you, how do you go about finding that company that we're talking about that cares about all the things that you're saying? Like, are there um, like signals that are uh, even subliminal signals when you're looking at a company's website? Or let's, let's look at this from both ways, from both. Yeah. yeah. How, how do employers find people whose values match what they're doing and vice versa? Start with the, on, on the employee side of things. What are, what's the insider's view of how we assess companies and before we launch and leap into them?
0: I think we're lucky with the fact that the things like Glassdoor exists, things like Indeed. Indeed also launched, right around COVID, an additional set of metrics around happiness so that internal employees are rating Indeed you know, companies through Indeed in, in that aspect. Same thing with Glassdoor. So luckily we have those tools to get like the real deal. And then I think from an employee standpoint, at the end of the day, the number one reason why people leave, this is even before COVID, is not because of pay, is not because of like even purpose. It was because of their manager. (laughs) It's like basically that's like the number one direct reason, like am I happy here or not? So I think it's like upon us as employees when we go into these interviews, like just remember you're interviewing them (laughs) at the same time and suss out not just the manager or or the boss, but basically everyone that you're going to have to work with on a day-to-day basis. And do you align? Do you like, are there, is there values and purpose alignment? Do you want to like get a happy hour beer or or whatever after work? Those things are just the most simple things, but I think it goes a long way, especially because the pendulum has swung into the employee's court of being able to say, Hey, this is what I'm going to bring to the table. And these are my values. And this is like what I would love to do from a purpose standpoint. Are you aligned? So that's where I would start
1: is it too soon to expect companies to have put their values together and put it on the company website? Like, yeah. I hear of companies doing that. I just interviewed the co-founder of 6am City, Ryan Hafey. And mm. I mean, he is absolutely brilliant in yeah. putting together big teams in city after city, all based around alignment with values. Is that the, the, the rule or the exception?
0: I don't know, like maybe because I'm in this work, I see so many companies doing it. But I also believe that, I mean, there it's going to take time to get it really instilled in a systemic way. And so even if a company like, let's be real, like, you know, like Uber got a lot of crap. Wells Fargo got a lot of crap. Like when things went downhill, Volkswagen, like when they were selling cars that were supposed to be, you know, those are all very messed up things, right? That brands do. But the reality is also at the same time, there are good people within them. So that's why I think even if it doesn't, you know, the companies don't have like the values plastered on their website yet, or as part of the recruiting process. That's why I think it's so important just to have those like real conversations with the lead and everyone else in your team. So...
1: And, you know, the people that interview you should be able to speak and, and should be anxious to speak about their culture and what's important and all that. Right. That I mean, yeah. there's little signals just like that in the interview process. Totally. If no one mentions culture or what you're all striving for goals. I mean,
0: yeah. And if they don't mention it, then that's kind of an indicator like, well, maybe you shouldn't be spending your time there. But yeah, I think that's been a blessing, especially in the last two decades when I was doing this at Zappos. Like culture wasn't even a word yet, you know, a buzzword yet. And then now it's like everywhere. And so that's a cool thing, like being able to speak to it and knowing that major leaders in the world CEOs of big companies like Microsoft, Google, Starbucks, you know, they talk about this and whether or not it's being held true in reality is I think that's part of the interview process. Mm -hmm.
1: Then then let's turn the tables um, for I mean, 50 percent of the world are small business owners. So then you've got a whole different problem. You don't have this hierarchy of thousands of people that you're trying to, you know, shepherd along all in the same direction. But what if your team is 12, 15, Mm 25? So are there differences in strategy? Because a lot of people that'll that'll listen to this podcast are small business owners who are really trying to find peace of mind in their work during the super hard times what should they be looking for in an employee because nobody wants to start with somebody who's not going to be a good fit yeah if you're an ordinary person and the smaller the company the harder it is to disconnect if you've made the wrong the wrong yeah. Uh, choice yeah talk to me about more how expensive life- <laughs> yes yes um i mean that was was famous for a policy where they didn't they have a policy where they offered people money after a couple of weeks
0: Yeah, they paid people to quit, essentially, if uh, after a few weeks of the training program that they that everyone goes through, if there's not a culture fit, essentially, it's just kind of like, we'll pay you, you know, now, I don't even know how much they're paying people now. But it was just a real test to see, do you align with this culture? And I think from the employer standpoint, if you are a small business, like, Congratulations. I know it's hard, but it's that much easier to actually control the circumstances of your recruiting process and actually being able to dive deeper into those conversations where it's not just about the skills fit or the role or the responsibilities, but it's also is there a culture fit and that's why I think it's so important to have established purpose and values from a company standpoint because that's the lead into the questions that you'd be asking during the recruiting process and it's meant to really see, what this person is bringing to the table from not just skill set, but the purpose and values, and asking the hard questions like, you know, when did you have to do something that was against your values, you know, or against like what you had to do because um, your boss told you to? And I think it's fair game from an employer standpoint because then you get to see, you know, the true character of of who people are, and you know, it's, it's easier to teach skills; it's it's harder to teach people to smile. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. Recently, I created a position we call the chief happiness officer. Nice. <laughs> and, you know, um, I decided there and then I was going to hire for a mindset, not a skill set. Mm-hmm. I was going to find someone who was really emotionally intelligent, who who asked the right questions at the interview. It wasn't all about money and time off and all that. But I was looking for somebody who put what they volunteer doing on their resume, when somebody values their volunteer efforts enough to put on a resume, that is something that speaks to their character too. Are mm-hmm. there other things like that that you think are good indicators of somebody who's going to have the team dynamics and the emotional intelligence to be a good fit?
0: Yeah, the volunteering stuff is very important. I think it's like just whatever else that person really is passionate about is really important mm-hmm. because like when you get a sense that that person is being authentic to to all sides of who he or she or they now are, I think that's when you get a good sense of whether or not it's going to be a good long-term relationship. Mm -hmm. And I think it's so much more important now, like people talk about millennials and Gen Zers and how they're so different and the, the, the cases like, yeah, they are different, but you know what, they just are really trying to be who they are as human beings. And so I like to think about it in a way that this where, the, this generation that we live in right now, this time people are really wanting to be just really who they are. And by welcoming that kind of conversation in the interviews, then you can get a sense of whether or not they're truly being authentic to the, who they you know, you know want to be and, and what they want to contribute.
1: Yeah, I don't think I, I have ever thought to ask somebody. So, what brings you alive outside of this mm-hmm. profession? What's your passion? I would yeah. never think to ask that. But that's really where the sweet spot is because a, it signals that I care about them outside the office, yeah. and we might have something in common. And and for them, it gets to add more three dimensions to their, you know, to my view of I what they bring.
0: Yeah, totally. And then that carries through too, because it carries through from not just the recruiting session, but it carries through to the lifetime of that employee interaction. And when you have everyone in your team that have expressed these things and continually express it, they're actively bringing their passions to work every day and everyone else learns from it too so that's like i guess that's why i'm keep on saying that the life cycle it's not just asking at the beginning it's a carrying through purpose and values carrying through what our passions are and everyone else can learn from it in a way that feels additive and you know and then you and then you develop deeper connections of, of a team that wants to do anything because they're they're in it together
1: and these are This is so important for our times because I think the pandemic is wearing on Mm -hmm. and we can't keep we can't keep saying, oh, when things go back to normal. I mean, it's time to just embrace where we're at, figure out how to make it work and move on together and really use that as free decor that relationships, that strong relationships on the team give you.
0: Totally. Yeah. I think there's just no way we're going back. It's, just, it's the new abnorm and I'll never go back. <laughs> and for those, and I think that's a red flag too, for those that want to go back, then it's a signal that like, I think these days we just need to be more adaptive than ever. And unless we have that kind of bone in our body. And that's a question that I actively ask too, it's like, how willing are you able to adapt to things that we have no idea that are coming. And we we saw that in the last two years and it's going to continue. Yeah. So, yeah, I think that's a huge character that, uh, characteristic that we all need right
1: now. I had one a thought leader I was interviewing once say something that's always kind of stuck with me. You know, she, she, she always asks herself, who would I want to be in a lifeboat with? <laughs> nice. And then why? And like, we can do these exercises where we share some, some of the attributes, you know, David Cooperator, who is a a world thinker in the other AI, he's a thinker in appreciative inquiry. I think you and I had that conversation. Yeah. He he says, I think this comes from Peter Drucker. He says, when you focus on your strengths as a team, your weaknesses become irrelevant. Hmm. And I can't help but think that in people, leaders, teams that are really focusing on creating a happy work environment, that the the shift there's a shift in what we focus on. Talk to us about that, and maybe do you have a few few exercises that that would that would help us change the focus? Because it's so easy to slide back into what we don't have in others.
0: Hmm. That's interesting, because like I. You know, I'm I'm definitely a, a fan of appreciative inquiry, and my build on that. I don't necessarily agree with that statement about this just focusing on strengths and not then weaknesses don't matter as much. Because I actually believe that we are in a place where companies and teams perform better when you have psychological safety. Mm -hmm. So in that sense where, yes, strengths are recognized and rewarded, but weaknesses are also acknowledged. And so there's actually a really fascinating study that Google did called the Aristotle project. And so they were set to find out how, like which teams are the most impactful and effective. And so you would think, you know, like, oh, is it the the manager? Is it the tools or, you know, whatever it is. But the one factor they found was psychological safety. So for those teams that felt that they can express, you know, what they can celebrate, but at the same time, express what they didn't excel at and feel safe to say, uh, I messed up here. You know, I failed in this one, but this is what I'll do different. That's actually what made them most effective in their outcomes. So I guess I'm a big believer. And this goes back to mental health and being able to bring that into the workplace. I mean, Simone Biles, like she did the world a favor by saying no, you know, and her workplace happened to be on an international <laughs> Olympic stage, but we all have that, you know, within us to say yes or no for these reasons. And then you know, she got judged for it, like, but she stood by it. She said, you know, this is, I'd rather take care of my body, my, my mind. And therefore that's what it is. So that's where I think it's so important to bring that psychological, excuse me, psychological safety in, in our workplaces. And, and part of the exercises that are in the book, like whether it's the wheel of wholeness or happiness, heartbeat, it's being able to create that safe space to be able to uh, express those things.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah, my I have to. I just own one here, and and this is maybe a generational thing. Maybe it's my personality style versus my daughter, Liesl, and mm-hmm. I are co-founders of the Goodness Exchange, oh, nice. and so <laughs> oh, I'm I'm all hundred thousand foot look, and she's all down at the ground level, and we that can be quite a lot of friction. Mm-hmm. Um, when, when, but for us, largely now we have our friction days. That's for sure, but largely. We we can pause and recognize where that interface is, and then then we've got great team members that get us through those moments when neither of us have what we what the team needs right now. But I bring this up in that I, I think one of the the big themes that I'm getting from our conversation today is that it is personal. We have to get personal to have happiness in our work environments. And this re- reminds me of something that Liesl has us do every Monday morning. We have this group meeting, and she. So had us start doing this high low ha we're it's a zoom meeting of course so mm-hmm. we go around the seven team members uh for the goodness exchange and everyone has to tell a high a low and a ha from the weekend i love it i always thought that that was just gosh it takes a half an hour what you know, a <laughs> waste of time i was <laughs> i was doing that in the first few weeks of this yeah and because i'm all business i'm i'm a director personality sort and i'm getting things done and i'm this is all about but talk about <laughs> emotional and lack of emotional intelligence. Of course, I realized right away how precious that time is. Mm. And and the more we've done it now, um, more than a year, surely, the more I know about folks and what they're going through in life and what they're celebrating. And, yeah. and it helps me be just more emotionally intelligent and, and create safe workspaces for people if I know more about them.
0: Yeah. It does. I mean, that's, it It really hits uh, it on the head, you know, like it, it why I, I talk about happiness and then humanity. I mean, that's what it is, like what you're just sharing. And even for those people, cause I know there's others that uh, might be listening that just like are in your boat too. They're like, well, we have a very full agenda and <laughs> we got to get to business. And there, there are ways, and sometimes maybe you can take it half hour, but maybe some days you can't and that's where I love the simplest tools of you know whether it's google doc or you know zoom chat like everyone just does it at one time and then it takes like five minutes or 10 minutes not 30 minutes because everyone's just like boom this is my high low haves and that's like and then you get to see every everyone gets to see everyone else's responses and like you know as a moderator or whoever's leading the team meeting, just say, you know, pick out one or two and say, and and, and like have that discussion instead of everyone going around the room. But I love that. Like, like Kudos to your daughter and, and, <laughs> and
1: yeah. making sure you went this route with your meetings. Uh, I've decided that I get to be right, right about 20% of the time now. <laughs> <laughs> She she is, she is right about 8%. It's a generational thing. You know, what I always say is, it's as if the earth is turning slowly towards me. And there my young team is all lined up on the horizon and they can see over. Uh-huh. So that's an advantage. They can see what's coming. Now, me, I'm way back in space here, and I can see what's gone on uh-huh. between me and the horizon. So I've got that perspective. And when we look at it like that, everyone's perspective is valuable.
0: Yeah, that's lovely. I yeah, mean, so- you're a very uh, generous mom to have to be on the twenty percent side and not the eighty. percent
1: no, I tell you what, I'm, I, I believe that the millennials and the Gen Z generation will save us all. So, <laughs> I, and I'm rooting for that. So Not I, I got to tell you, this has been a lovely conversation. Thank you so much, Jen, for sharing this journey and the, the important work ahead as we improve business to meet a new era. Can you give us a few stats on on happiness? You say in the book that it's measurable. Give us a few happiness stats on our way out and then tell us where people can connect with you. A few
0: happiness stats. I mean I I, I think the the latest stats are not necessarily about happiness anymore, especially in the last two oh, years. Yeah, yeah, But I, I mean I go back to this greater sense of, you know, what it means to to have well being and health and and the sense of like purpose so i i know that you know businesses that we've worked with and workplaces that have implemented this stuff have gone from like retention rates going from yeah, you know, like turnover rates were like at 30%, 40%. And then after doing this, it went negative because people started coming back to their company because they heard that, oh wow, they actually care about people. And so that was amazing. And then revenues, like if you make sure your salespeople are happy, like we've seen revenues go up from like 20 to 40%. And it's just, you know, whatever metric that you're looking at, that's the most important thing. Is it retention? Is it burnout? Is it revenues? Like just remember, metrics are, you know, measurements are one thing, but you have to measure what was most important for you. So that's where I would lead back to. And I think one important reminder in all this: remember, like, and, and this is one of the major themes of my themes in my book is, you know, as leaders, we also like wanting to grow other greenhouses. So like, we want to grow our revenues, we want to grow our people, we want to grow our companies. But just remember to nurture your greenhouse first. And I think that's something that, um, especially in these last couple of years, we've seen what the difference is if we forget to nurture our greenhouse especially knowing when we have purpose and values in place, that's what helps us get us there so yeah sorry long-winded answer uh, yeah
1: yeah, that's exactly the reminder that that we need to have it this is what gives us almost almost the validation that it's possible and the authority to take charge and start making inroads in this direction thank you so much jen where can people connect with your work
0: yeah so deliveringhappiness.com you you mentioned that earlier and then we just launched the website jenlim j-e-n-n-l-i-m.com for the book ping me there and there's a bunch of resources that we're happy to share just to get you on this, you know, this journey. Never a better place to start than today.
1: Perfect. Perfect. Well, thank you so much. Anything that Jen and I mentioned right down to the Peter Drunker, who's he, <laughs> and any of the other things that we mentioned, there's going to be a lot in the show notes. This uh, at the Goodness Exchange, this will be a Wednesday article, and there'll be some additive parts, some some wonderful clips out of this interview there too, to remind you of some of the real key words of wisdom Jen had for us. So thank you. Don't forget to go visit the Goodness Exchange and join us there. We are creating a landscape for people with good intention and good ideas to thrive together. I hope all the connections that Jen and I gave you today to goodness and progress will carry through your week and you'll start finding all the joy and wonder that we've been talking about. Have a great day.